uh, shirt front, Mr. Putin. I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum. <laughs> because I want the to do more. you slowly. If you don't vote for the Liberal National parties, then Anthony Albanese will be the Prime Minister of Australia. Welcome to Edge of the Election, the Edge of the Crowd's newest podcast about Australian politics. I'm your host, Jackie, and on our very first episode, I'm joined by fellow politics, I guess nerd is the right way to put it, uh, Rory Dennis. So how are you tonight, Rory? Yeah, very good, Jackie. I think, yeah, nerd's probably the, the best descriptor of it. I think I've had plenty of robust debate over the last couple of weeks, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's about eight weeks until the federal election. It hasn't been called yet, but we know it is either going to be the 7th of May, the 14th of May, or the 21st of May. So we've got a good guesstimate as far as how things are going currently. Um, Rory, what are you looking forward to as far as the election is concerned as of right now? Because campaigning has well and truly started. Yeah, that's right. Campaigning started, I think, probably six months ago at this point. It's just... <laughs> Like campaigns just rolled into into the new year, but um, yeah, it's going to be a big election, certainly a different one from what we saw with Bill Shorten. Obviously, the world's changed quite a lot in the last couple of years. I think we've got two pretty similar candidates in Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese, don't we? They're um, both kind of playing that daggy dad vibe, aren't they? Yeah, I think one comes across as more authentic as the other, but at the same time. One appears to be a nice guy, whereas the other one, like anyone that's ever met him, says that he's a nice guy. So there is also that vibe as well. But I thought before we actually really get into the uh, federal election talk, we should talk about the election that happened this weekend in South Australia, because uh, in what could quite easily be called a land sweep, uh, the Labor Party defeated the Liberals um, after one term. Yeah, that's right. South Australia loves a, a Labor government, obviously. We've seen Labor governments for most of the last 20 years there. Obviously, the Stephen Marshall government was the um, the first Liberal one since the turn of the century. So, yeah, pretty pretty big result for, for South Australia there. And it could be an indicator of the uh, federal election to come, I think. I think... It's an indicator regardless of what party wins the federal election in that this cannot be an election that is dictated by COVID much at all. Um, it's the first election since COVID that Australia's had. And with that, um, the it's also the first time since, I think it was this current Liberal government, uh, so this current Liberal state government, uh, that there has actually been a change in state government in Australia. So. That's going back five years. But also at the same time with that, there's clearly a lot to take away, both with the COVID element of it all and how we can't use it as a crutch um, for either party in this federal election, but also in the sense of where things have gone wrong as far as the state government is concerned, which a big one appears to have been healthcare, in particular ambulance services. Uh, and that's something that was big a part of Labor's platform is just being like, yeah, when you need an ambulance, we're going to get make sure that there are ambulances for you. Yeah, that's right. The um, the Labor government went with a lot of kind of healthcare policies. There's, they've gone in with a bunch of new beds in the three major hospitals there in Adelaide, Elizabeth and Gawler, and that's going to make a obviously a big difference going forward. And we saw in co with COVID that it's it's kind of been a bit of a mess with getting ambulances with the 
with the health system under the stress that we've seen. And yeah, those results that they're currently looking like Labor's going to pick up 28 seats with the Liberals about 13 or so. So it's, yeah, that's a pretty, pretty big win. Not quite WA standards, but yeah, a big Labor win. I think though that it's hard, like it's sorry. I think it's near impossible to replicate what WA did. Um, you run that through a machine a million times, and that happens once. Yeah, um, that's right. At the same time, though, like it's clear that whilst COVID didn't dictate this election, like it did the WA election and the Queensland election, even it still was influential because. That's why Labor went with such a strong healthcare approach and they can use COVID slightly to their advantage with being like the healthcare system crippled very quickly under COVID. Um, and we need to make sure that that can't continue to happen because there can be another health crisis, that sort of thing. Um, and at the same time, like I think that this, this Labor Party had some important pieces in their platform, but the new Premier, Peter Malinalkis, <laughs> uh, there is something about the way he speaks that makes me just go, oh, every mum is going to vote for him. <laughs> because, yes, while he's an attractive man, he also comes across as, like, that nice, affable kind of guy just in the manner that he speaks. Um, it might be a little bit too... Uh, it, it's more in the American definition of lib than the Australian definition of liberal. For my taste, I would prefer to be a lot harder on your opposition. But there was a lot of empathy in his victory speech for this uh, Liberal Party that's just lost, um, and in particular, Stephen Marshall. Yeah, I think that's, he's definitely an attractive guy, obviously, and that makes a difference. Um, he'd probably be pretty good at hosting postcards or better home to garden, something like that. Something <laughs> the mums would tune into, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, it was um, uh, Stephen Marshall's obviously taken South Australia through the COVID period, and uh, yeah, obviously the last six months with opening up has been a little bit of a disaster. But it's that's kind of been a disaster all over the world, hasn't it? There was only so long we could kind of shut the borders and keep that out. So yeah, I think Stephen Marshall he obviously didn't do a bad job. People seem to like him, and the Labor Party seems to like him. So yeah, I think that's it's an interesting one. And, Obviously, new Premier. Let's see what he's got for the next four years. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there is that reminder of, like, South Australia is not Western Australia, whereas the Western Australian Labor Party is more more like the actual South Australian Liberal Party <laughs> um, and the way that those, like, two states operate. One is a lot more uh, conservative and then the other one is a lot more uh, left-wing, liberal, that sort of thing. Um, and you yeah, see it right. in how yeah. those parties interact. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. The, the South Australian Labor Party's, or South Australia in general, I guess, has just been the probably the most progressive state in Australia through its history, whether that was allowing women the right to vote first in Australia or, you know, the, the recent stuff they've done with kind of renewable energy that we've seen taken into this election as well with a big hydrogen power facility going to be built in Whaler. So it'll be an, another big one that I think South Australia is definitely the forefront of uh of our renewable energy kind of demands. Yeah, and I guess if we look at some of the responses, Anthony Green called the election around 8.30 East Coast time. It was more like 8 p.m. in South Australia. But uh, other outlets, in particular the Murdoch Run News Corp outlet, had some different takeaways. I thought the funniest one possibly was Herald Sun, which is a Melbourne outlet for starters, uh, having a very much with their Sunday morning paper being like, 
who knows who won the election? It looks pretty good for Stephen Marshall. And it was like, the election was called two hours after the polls closed. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's right. It couldn't actually look worse for Stephen Marshall. Like he's going to lose his seat, it looks like. And yeah, a pretty bad weekend for him. But the Herald Sun, unless they went to print at 6 p.m., which I know for a fact they wouldn't have done, it was, I guess, that one to slip past the editor. Yeah, it just, it seems like one of those ones that is trying to be sneaky of the people that weren't watching most likely ABC or one of the other outlets that's covering it because Sky News was also doing it. And, and I mean, that image of Peter Credlin seared into my mind um, just as how angry <laughs> she looked. Um, but also just at the same time, like it's Vicky Chapman was on the ABC um, coverage and she is a South Australian MP um, and she wasn't taking it all that well. She was very much trying to deny reality, which she kind of has to do. But then after it got called, while well, she was like, yeah, only 14%'s been counted, it was like, I need to go to the party room and have a chat. Um, yeah, that's right. So there was some acknowledgement by the end of the night that she was just like, no, this is bad. <laughs> this is really bad. Yeah, and I think she's probably, she could be up for a job as, as leader after this election as well. So. Yeah, it was definitely odd her leaving early. You usually see those kind of roles. Um, they stick it out to the end, but yeah, not a not a good look for the Liberal Party there. And then there was, of course, another another key policy point that was taken in was undoing the privatisation of the trams and trains in Adelaide. I don't know about you, Jackie, but I'm a big public transport fan, use it all the time, and it's, it's not great as it is in Canberra. But yeah, we've seen in South Australia their, their train and trams are are pretty bad there um you still buy tickets on the actual train there which i find something from the last century to be honest with you um but it's good to see something finally be done with public transport that's just become too expensive over the last decade yeah i think that um the privatization of public transport has been a bad thing for this country overall it's just like there's certain pieces of public infrastructure that should not be touched by private corporations uh, and transport's one of them because you see what happens in say Sydney or even Melbourne um, in particular when they had the shutdown for the trains in Sydney and you're like what are you doing this is something that like we shouldn't be having a reason to be strikes uh be having strikes and that sort of thing because a the workers need to be taken care of but b the workers that need to get into the city need to be taken care of and you can't be running on skeleton services um so hopefully it's going to not only lower costs uh for the actual public that need to use them but then on top of that is going to make them run better um, because typically when public transport is run by the government, it runs a lot smoother than it does when some corporation is trying to cut costs on it at least. Yeah, that's right. And the, the last thing you need after you finish work at five o'clock is to get on a bus re- replacement for your train and it takes you, it takes you know, two hours to get home, especially in Sydney if you're going out west. It's, um, it's a pretty a pretty bad couple of hours. Yeah. Um, and what do you think that this election means for potentially the federal election. South Australia is going to be a pretty solid Labor stronghold. And we know that that's, South Australia is not really going to decide this federal election. But where do you see the shifts happening currently? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So obviously we've seen Anthony Albanese take the lead in a lot of polls over the last couple of months. And in preferred PM, he equaled Scott Morrison for the first time this month. So there seems to be a kind of a train, if you will, towards the Labor Party that's coming. And we'll see how that goes. But yeah, this it's hard to pick 
what's going to happen from a federal election based on a state election. But there's definitely, there definitely seems to be a mood around the Labor Party at the moment. And maybe it's actually just more to do with wanting to get rid of the Liber- Liberal Party than, than keeping a Labor Party in. But, but yeah, the ALP's up to eight points ahead in some of the polls at the moment. So there's 17 or 18 different seats that are within that margin at the moment. So we could see another landslide. Yeah, I think that anyone that's like, well, in 2019, this happened. There was like four points in it in 2019. We haven't even had an election get called yet. And there is eight points for some polls, 12 points for the Roy Morgan poll. Um, Like when the News Corp polls are saying 10 points, that's when you're like, A, Rupert Murdoch, we have to acknowledge, is a little bit of a kingmaker in this country. There's a reason why Kevin Rudd got elected. Uh, Julia Gillard is one of the few politicians to survive an election where Rupert Murdoch is just trying to politically assassinate someone. Um, And it seems like whilst they're not really favouring Albanese and the Labour Party, they're by no means going as hard as they were uh, for Shorten in 2019. And that is to the advantage of them. I think that if you were going to use a state election as an example, um, the only election that really would matter as far as states are concerned at the moment is probably New South Wales. If New South Wales flipped, I would basically say that it's in the bag. Queensland, far North Queensland will be important in this federal election. And I think it everyone acknowledges that. But at the same time, New South Wales is probably actually where this election is won and lost this time around. Um, And that's why you'll see plenty of people on the ground because the Liberals are trying to claw back seats in WA, but there's not that many seats in WA. Um, At the same time, though, I think it's a banner year for uh, independence. Um, In some electorates, in particular, the Treasurer's electorate, uh, Monique Ryan has got a lot of traction currently, so much so that the Herald Sun and the Age front hit pieces on her being like, oh, she's a Labour plant, like she's ex-Labour, which she acknowledges that she's ex-Labour. Um, she was in the Labour Party for like a year in 2005, though, like it's not ex-Labour two months ago. Um, and with that, like if an independent before an election is getting called is getting so much traction, in the seat of a politician that should be relatively safe, that means they are doing wrong by their seat because Kuyong is a blue ribbon seat. Um, some pretty prominent names of people that have been in Kuyong, in particular Menzies, um, where it's like, it's embarrassing if they lose this seat. Um, and that'll be the well and true sign that this Liberal Party is struggling. Granted, though, the Nationals are not helping them. <laughs> that, is, that is definitely true. And yeah, if Kuyong gets calls early for that independent, I think we can probably call the election coverage off pretty easily and pretty early because that'll just be the indicator that Labor's going to have a pretty big majority and those independents will definitely be playing a, a big part, as we saw in the South Australian election on the weekend as well. They've, it looks like they're probably going to have six independents in that, in that lower house and that's going to be a, a big voting block, that's for sure. And in Canberra, we're seeing David Pocock run for the Senate against um, Zed Sejelja, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's going to be a, a big one. And he looks he looks good. Um, I think the Labor preferences might flow towards him and we could see an independent senator for the ACT as well. Yeah, and I think that the crossbench is going to be key both in the upper house and the lower house uh, this next election. Uh, and that is not going to work in the favour of the Greens. Um, and then if you go to the opposite side of the Liberals and the Nationals, it's not going to work in favour of One Nation or the United Australia Party. It very much seems 
like it is going to be an independent heavy win or obscure parties that are obscure enough that it might as well be the <laughs> independence. Yeah, that's it. I, I don't think we'll be seeing the motor enthusiast party again, but it could be a could be a fun one on the crossbench, that's for sure. I don't know if you've seen this, Jackie, but the, the Liberal Party's been running out the meme game over the last couple of days to, I don't know, get in with the kids. I don't know who they're appealing to with these memes because they are bad boomer memes, but it's like you're trying to get in with the 18-year-olds and be like, look, haha, we've got memes. And it's like, excuse me? <laughs> you yeah, think you have right. memes? It's, yeah, it's the Craig Kelly style, isn't it? Get on Facebook and, and put your memes in and hope they reach the right people. But yeah, they've been pretty bad. I don't know if you saw the, the Anthony Albanese weak password one over the last couple oh, of days. And then, yeah, and then so they've bad. released a stat attack card, like a top Trump style thing. I've got no idea what they're trying to get out with that but the if that's how they want to run their campaign I don't think they'll be too successful I mean I think that it shows that they don't have someone that is 2021 20, in their media room that is tuned in with social media they might have a 2021 20, year old but not one that is tuned in well enough because also at the same time like if you want to target the 18 19 year olds 20 year olds you shouldn't be targeting them on Facebook that's where you target their parents definitely but you should be targeting them on TikTok and Instagram. And like granted, Instagram, they have not so much memes, but they push ads quite a fair bit. But at the same time, like there's nothing on TikTok. And anytime that they do post anything on TikTok, it's comments turned off, like <laughs> everything's just turned off. You cannot actually properly interact with it. So that's doing nothing for them in the algorithm as well. So like you can only pay so much and it'd be effective in the algorithm. And even then, I think it's disrespectful to young people to just put out memes and expect them to vote for you because of that. I think they need a bit more substance than just a couple of, you know, canvas-style memes that get put out on, on Facebook that no one's actually seeing. <laughs> uh, I think that's it kind of leads to what policy this election is going to be fought on, and it looks like defence is probably the way to go with the situation in Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, so obviously there is the war in Ukraine going on currently and that is going to be a big part of the Liberal Party's platform as far as we can tell whereas Labor appears to be going more climate oriented climate oriented climate oriented and but not like the green style of climate oriented where it's actually realistic and they're trying to win votes of people that do still work in the mines um but at the same time going with uh in tune with the people, policy that is Australian policy rather than foreign policy, because I just don't think you're actually going to be successfully winning votes this election, constantly China hawking. And that's what the Liberal government has been trying to do for the past four years. But as soon as the like Russian invasion started, Scott Morrison was talking about China and what China like is doing, but wasn't doing slash shouldn't be doing. And it's like, you... Australia doesn't have any influence as far as China is concerned at this point. We threw that in the like can when we firmly picked the United States. But at the same time, like maybe just maybe focus on what this country is going to do, especially when there is currently a national, like natural, there is currently a national emergency due to a natural disaster happening. Um, because whilst Ukraine is important, what's happening at home is also very important. Yeah, that's right. And I think after two years of COVID, people have had enough of kind of what's going on outside of Australia and they're going to focus on what's going on here and kind of building up after what's been a pretty 
terrible couple of years for a lot of people. So, yeah, I don't think defence is the way to go. And uh, like, there's things to worry about with China, obviously Taiwan, and if that'll get taken in the near future with the precedents being set with Putin. But that's a down the road issue, and probably above the heads of a lot of voters, I would have thought. So, what's not above the head of voters, of course, is the floods. Well, above the heads of some of them, I guess, if you're that short. But um, yeah, pretty bad pretty bad situation in Queensland and northern New South Wales over the last couple of weeks. And a lot of, a lot of people have not been happy with Morrison's response. And we've seen protesters on the house, on Kirribilli House over the last few days, talking about the climate emergency and the government's lack of response. Well, so they knew about the fact that a situation like these floods were going to happen as early as mid-January. There were warning signs for two months, basically that there was a risk of a very serious flood happening in Queensland and northern New South Wales, the same way there was in 2011. Um, At the same time, though, this federal government has not met a national emergency that they don't want to completely stuff up the response to. We've had the bushfires in 2019-2020. We've obviously had COVID and the different myriad of like just screw-ups that they had like the ruby princess which i'm sure lots of people have forgotten about that was a little bit the state government's fault that was a lot the federal government's fault um and that sort of thing so it's just one of those situations where it's like come on this should have been an easy win for you um all you had to do was a go there and talk to real people um and not just try and shake people's hands but also just pledge support rather than being like, oh, the natural disaster fund that we've specifically set up for these sort of events, we can't just be dipping into it like willy-nilly. And it's like, when are you supposed to dip into it if not now? Yeah, that's right. And you said that the a lot of voters would have forgotten about the Ruby Princess, but I guarantee the Labor Party hasn't. And I'm sure we'll see lots of ads over the next few months that are you know, Scott Morrison failing to hold a hose, Scott Morrison in Hawaii, Scott Morrison the Roman Princess, and now Scott Morrison in the floods. It's becoming a theme. And as you said, that big disaster fund, $5 billion, it's, you know, nothing gets touched. It just sits there in the bank. And it's not like this is a Liberal government that's afraid of spending money that we saw during the pandemic. We essentially eliminated poverty in some way by giving huge amounts of money away. And if you kind of shut up the shop before the budget starts, you know, it's kind of just a mess. And, you know, Queensland asked for what's a small amount overall, 127 million out of five, what is 5 billion. And none of those projects were approved. It's just, yeah. it's, it's been a disaster. And, you know, people have got rubbish up to the roofs of their houses on the street at the moment. And, you know, no one's there to help. Yeah, and some of these people would have been affected by the fires. Like, it's one of those situations where it's like people have been rebuilding their homes for years, partially because, like, some of that had to stop due to COVID, but also because it takes a long time to rebuild your lives after natural disasters. And then at the same time, they are now going to have to be doing that again in some cases. Um, And there is just, for someone that reportedly received empathy training, there is a big lack of empathy towards the Australian people and that's why like a defense-based election isn't going to work because people are going to be like well like what about what's happening at home you were slow to actually use the defense force twice in a row when it comes to national disaster like 
when it comes to national emergencies um, in cases of natural disasters. And that's actually something that is good about having a strong defence budget, but we're not using it appropriately. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the government came out and said, you can't just mobilise defence quickly. Now, I hope we don't get invaded because that's not a great attitude to have, is it? it yeah, people are, people are suffering and the government's kind of just let it go. And now the Queensland government's turned around and said, we don't need your help now. The floodwaters are going down. We've got it sorted. And that's, that's not what state government should be saying to the federal government. Yeah, and that's great for Anastasia Palaszczuk um, and the Labor Party in Queensland because they've been failed quite a few times. It helped them win an election massively a few years ago because of that fact. And it's going to help them again. Um, And that's why people are like, well, Palaszczuk could potentially stay until the Brisbane Olympics, which is 10 years away still now. Be like, they're popular. It's until people get tired of that party or that party becomes ineffective, which does happen after being in power for a long time um at the same time like as i said i think that climate action is going to be a big part of the labor party platform that's partially because the greens have tried to push them left a little bit as well as there's some a fair few independents that are like financially more conservative but want to be tough on climate action um that is gonna win votes especially with older voters that would normally just vote for the liberals or the nationals um And I think that if Labor can have robust climate policy, especially climate policy that backs up what the current state Labor governments have, um, and if not extends them further, it's going to go a long way in getting that 18 to 30 vote, especially. But even those that are young parents, so that 30 to 45 age bracket as well, where they've got kids and they're like, we want to build a better future for our kids. Climate policy is important in that fact. It's been important for 22 years. Like it's been at the forefront of people's minds for longer than that even. But now it's like do or die and people are actually recognising that when they weren't previously. Yeah, 100%. Climate's once again the big talk in this election and I think it's going to continue that way for a long time. Yet, obviously it's not something we just, you know, wipe our hands with and walk away from. It's, it's, not, it's not a defence thing. You can't just leave it climates um it's gonna it's gonna play a huge part along with the along with a corruption commission i believe it's it's the way forward i've obviously seen what it's done in new south wales with the ousting of gladys and you know i think on a on a national level that's been called for for a long time yeah and i think though that like when we look at a climate election the greens still can't get past 11 percent of the vote um and people will be like, oh, but like they care so much about the environment, this and that. And it's like starters, the Greens are a little bit annoying. Like I think a lot of people just find how preachy the Greens are to be very annoying. They also have a clear lack of ambition towards mass elections they're content to just win one seat in the lower house and a few spots in the senate which they are very useful in the senate i actually am a big supporter as far as the greens are concerned in as a place in the senate in the lower house they annoy the hell out of me um but at the same time like it's not just the preachiness there is also the fact that they constantly conflate labor and the liberal party Um, And that doesn't win you Labor votes. It also doesn't win you Labor preferences because people that are a part of the Labor Party then subsequently go, well, screw the Greens. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to preference them high at all. I'll preference the independents high. Or on the flip side, 
they will preference the Greens crazy low and then not give them votes in the Senate, which hurts them in the Senate when they have been strong in the Senate, especially for the past five years. Yeah, 100%. That 11% is has kind of been their watermark, hasn't it? They don't really go below it, but they, they don't really go above it either. And they come with a lot of baggage, the Greens. They've got 30 years of, of attacks and smears, I guess you could say, but in some ways they've earned that, haven't they? And, you know, Adam Bant's the leader now. That might change something compared to, to Richard Di Natale the last election, but I'd be surprised if it if it did at all. That 11% seems to be where they're stuck and maybe they'll pick up another seat. There's a couple in Melbourne they look pretty good in, but uh, an effective Greens party can be good. Like we, if we look at Canberra again, we have a, a coalition of Labor and Greens and the Greens have the uh, the deputy deputy chief minister here and they do a great job with the Labor Party, but I think we should <laughs> see some of that cooperation kind of at a federal level as well. Yeah, I think the issue with the cooperation is obviously then uh, News Corp turns around and is like, see, the Greens control everything and you've got so many people that are like, they're like borderline swing voters, but as soon as they hear the Greens, they're like, no, I'm voting for the Liberal Party. But also at the same time, the few times that Labor and the Greens have been really really close, the Greens torpedo genuinely good Labor policy um, and the Labor Party will never forgive the Greens for what happened in 2009. Um, they still talk about it. They still use it in advertising of being like, well, when we tried to have good policy because we hadn't put the carbon tax into our policy, they were like, no, we're not having this um, and killed the bill and voted alongside the Liberals. And Labor uses that to say that the Greens and the Liberals are in tandem with one another. Um, and for starters, a bit absurdist on Labor's part, but at the same time, like, what happened was unforgivable to a lot of people that are strong Labor Party voters. And when the Greens constantly antagonise, it doesn't help their case. Yeah, 100% right. That's that's kind of the baggage, isn't it, that comes through that Greens party. And I know they've said that they'll, they're happy to work with the Labor government, but Anthony Albanese said that, no coalitions happening. I don't believe that, to be honest with you. If that's the only way you'll be prime minister, I think he'll probably take the deal. Yeah. I think that the problem is, is that for the Greens, they do need to win more than one seat um, in the lower house. I don't think that Adam Baird gets a coalition with Labor. To secure the Senate, for sure, Labor and Greens are going to end up uniting anyway. But um, if there's two or three independents, Labor will end up siding with those independents, even if it pushes them slightly more towards the middle um, than siding with the Greens ultimately, partially because they're just going to get dunked on way less in the press if they don't touch the Greens. And that fear's real and that fear's not unreasonable because, well, the one time they did have a genuine coalition with the Greens, they immediately lost the next election pretty horrifically too mind you but I thought we'd go into our first like real segmenty kind of piece which we are calling please explain after our Pauline Hanson's infamous quote please explain please explain please explain and today we're going to be talking about Scott Morrison uh going after Anthony Albanese for losing weight uh taking better care of himself saying that he doesn't know who like that Albanese doesn't know who he is that sort of thing that Scott Morrison still has the same glasses the same shirt wears the same suits um and look 
social media had a field day with it, mostly to dunk on Scott Morrison, um, in particular being like, you don't even wear the same glasses anymore. <laughs> you had a makeover. But also then there were plenty of uh, pieces that were basically like, do you know that Scott Morrison had a shake diet uh, right after he became the prime minister of the country? And that sort of thing. And I was just like, interesting that this is like, this is the approach the media is taking. But also at the same time, like Scott Morrison, what are you doing? Like, there is no need to, it's not even skinny shame, just shame someone for deciding to eat healthier and be more active. Yeah, that's it. He's obviously a weird guy, Scott Morrison, isn't he? He's, um attacks mold stuff and this is one of them. I don't know if you've seen it, but Scott Morrison also has quite a lot more hair than he did a couple of years ago. I don't know who he's been calling it advanced hair, but I think there's been a couple of calls made there. Um, but yeah, Anthony Albanese, he's, he's into his almost into his 60s now. And obviously that's a, an age where this health kind of catches up with you. And after he had his car crash, he's decided that it's, that it's time to, to fix himself, I guess. And, you know, he's got a pretty good chance of being prime minister. And on the world stage, I just think you want to look a little bit better. I think that's his idea. Yeah, I think that Bill Shorten probably is the one that put it best in saying that it's a little bit the green-eyed monster. There's clearly a bit of jealousy there that Albo's had gone on a health kick and it's paid off because um, even if Scott Morrison went on a shake diet and he did noticeably lose weight like very shortly after becoming prime minister and I think a lot of people just went, oh, it's the stress. This job just makes must make you drop weight like that. But at the same time, like, there's, it's unnecessary and it doesn't endear you to people. Like if you're trying to go for that like larrikinism, but you are also then alienating a fair portion of the com- country that actually does think that healthy living is important. Um, it's not like, it's one of those things where it's just like you are losing votes with teachers because you are encouraging bullying for no reason. You like fitness heads are probably just going to be like, unless they are small business owners and they are like firmly liberal, they're probably just going to be like, what do you, do you want the country to be as obese as the United States? Like, what what kind of point are you making there? Um, and even people that don't necessarily have healthy lifestyles at the same time would be like, okay, but like, what do you say about other people? Like, it's not very Christian for that matter, like to be behaving like that. And Scott Morrison is famously a Christian. Um, so I just, it could not have gone worse for him. But at the same time, I'm just like, why would you say any of this? Like, it's just absurd. Yeah, that's right. And we've seen, you know, bullying's a part of politics, right? We've seen, and then we go back to the Julie Gillard and Tony Abbott stuff. But yeah, this is just, it's just odd, isn't it? Like, who does this win votes with? I don't see it appealing to anyone. I just think it's another one of these gaffes that Scott Morrison has had where he's not really thinking before he speaks. Yeah, and ultimately, like, Albo looks good. Um, and vanity is kind of important in an election, in particular in a low information election, which this election is not. So there is that on top of it. If this was a low information election and it was realistically, if we did the like American presidential voting style, Albu actually would get a lot of votes because of the fact that he's trimmed down. He looks good. Um, people will in a low information election vote the person that they find more attractive sometimes because there's certain qualities that is just makes you seem more trustworthy there is weird psychology to it that I don't necessarily agree with 
but at the same time it's just a thing that happens that's also not how we vote in this country though <laughs> like you don't vote for the prime minister it might influence your vote but you don't vote for the prime minister yeah that's exactly right and i think a lot of people are confused about that but they'll get over it and i think we saw in south australia it made a difference didn't it with uh Malinowskis, he obviously looks great and Stephen Marshall, not so much. He, but he made jokes about that. He said he's off the carbs and things like that. That's probably the way Scott Morrison should have played it rather than attacking Albo for apparently being a different person because he's not sinking 24 beers a night. Yeah, and like the Albanese interview, which was in either Women's Weekly or Women's Day, I can't remember off the top of my head, like that was a good interview that will appeal to mums um, and some grandmas, whoever whoever buys Women's Day, because there is that like daddy dad humor in it of being like, yeah, I've gone on this health kick, but my son's not very happy with me, um, and it makes you the politician feel more like a person, which I think that Albanese, without even really trying that hard, or at least it doesn't come across that way, does better than Scott Morrison because Scott Morrison's daddy dad Facebook like selfies of him making curry and that sort of thing don't appeal to people it just doesn't work it mostly just gets clowned on and maybe I'm in the wrong Facebook groups um and have the wrong friends on Facebook but I also at the same time I'm like I mean if my mom or another family member was taking photos selfies of them making curry on Facebook and putting them on Facebook I'd be like mom delete this please (laughs) like this is embarrassing you are not winning friends yeah, 100%. It doesn't really appeal to anyone, even curry in itself. It's not the most kind of appetizing dish to take a photo of, is it? It's not all, the, not all that good to look at. So, I don't know, Scott Morrison's, a, once again, I think it's going to be a theme, but he's a weird guy. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what he's thinking by these attacks. And his Facebook is, yeah, photos of his kids and photos of curry. If that's what he wants to do, that's up to him. But I don't think it's going to endear himself to too many photos, especially this time around after three years of having him in the job yeah i think that we're in for a interesting federal election uh when it's the campaign is for real at least because right now it's just posturing kind of campaign but when do you think the election's gonna get called and what date because it's got to be 33 days before the actual day of the election and it has to be a saturday so we know the three possible dates at this stage um or do you think the Morrison government will try and basically ruin their chances of actually getting elected, but um, stay in power for that tiny little bit longer by splitting the elections? Yeah, I don't know. That um, Prime Minister's salary is pretty nice, isn't it? It'd be good to have an extra three months of that. But, yeah, I think that'll ruin all chance if they split the elections. We'll probably see that, that election called after the budget. The Liberal Party's going to want to, I guess, spend big especially in marginal seats where there's 17 under 5%. So it'll get called after the 30th of, of March and then we'll probably have an t- election on the, what is it, 21st? That's the latest it can be called, yeah. yeah so 7th, 14th or 21st. I think that'll be the day. Yeah, I think that they are keen for another long election campaign. I think the last one was 49 days and that was like the longest we ever had. Um, so... If they call it on April 1st and it's for the 21st of May, um, that's a 51-day election campaign. And I think that that doesn't endear you to the Australian public because they will be very weary of the campaigning. A lot of people are already weary of it. But at the same time, like, 
maybe that's how they're going to find some magic way to bounce back slash convince Rupert Murdoch and the uh, News Corp outlets because clearly uh, nine entertainment companies slash Fairfax are going hard pro-liberal, but that's not helping them currently. They need News Corp uh, in their back pocket right now and News Corp just wants to dance around a little bit by the looks of it. Yeah, that's right. News Corp, they haven't really picked a side yet. And I don't think they're going to pick a side through this election either. They're, they're kind of hedging their bets both ways and and they'll see how that goes. It'll be interesting to see what Kevin Rudd does through the election as well and how hard he goes on News Corp because I think that could backfire against the Labor Party if it goes too hard. Yeah, I mean, that's a case of News Corp potentially arcing up as well if Rudd goes after them. But at the same time, I think that that's one of those who provokes who first because if news Corp goes hard kevin rudd's gonna be straight in there um and then i don't know you can't make comparisons to kevin rudd to anthony albanese they very much come across as different kinds of guys um whereas i think with bill shorten they tried to get away with it a little bit better being like oh they're both hotheads like blah blah, blah. anthony albanese doesn't have the same um not they're not black marks on that his record, but it's still baggage. He doesn't have that strong union tie that everyone else previously has had, and that's going to be to the favor of Albanese because ultimately the unions are contentious in this country. Um, and whilst that's not something that everyone agrees with as far as the methodology is concerned, if you can't use the fact that he's in bed with the unions against him, it is excellent for the Labor Party. Yeah, that's right. That's what we saw most of the attacks against Bill Shorten based around. It was tax and unions, wasn't it? And we saw those attacks the whole way through the campaign and they worked, obviously. But yeah, Anthony Albanese does not have those same kind of ties. So I think he's a bit of a Teflon politician in some ways, Anthony Albanese. Things just roll off and there's not really anything to grab onto. Like his background's obviously a a good story raised by a single mum in council housing and um, and now he's kind of worked his way up to leader of the Labor Party and there's nothing really a, a black mark on his record there. Yeah, as far as we know. Something could come out, something probably won't come out. As you said, it is a bit Teflon-like uh, as far as Albanese is concerned and that's clearly why he became the leader of the party following 2019, mm. but... I think we should end our first episode here because there's going to be plenty to talk about over the next eight weeks, um, if not longer. It all depends on when the election is called. So, Rory, would you like to share your social media handle? Uh, it's just at Rory Dennis on Twitter, mate, Instagram, all the all the good stuff. Give it a follow, give it a like. <laughs> and you can find me at Dodzy161 on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, this has been Edge of the Election. Uh, we will be covering election news every single Tuesday, as well as potentially special extra episodes as far as like the budget and when the election actually gets called. Uh, so be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, basically. Uh, and also check out www.edgeofthecrowd.com. We are typically a sports and culture website, but because politics is so ingrained in all of that, we are also doing political content. So if you would like to read political content, sports culture, uh, sports content about your favorite teams, your favorite sports, or 
stuff about movies or how they all relate to each other, visit www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Follow the socials at Edge of the Crowd on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, everything, basically. Uh, Thanks for listening and we'll see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.